Welcome to Channel Waves, the podcast where channel leaders share success strategies, best practices, and emerging trends. Brought to you by Structured Web. Here's your host, Stephen Kellum. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Channel Waves. I'm your host, Stephen Kellum. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us, all the listeners for joining us today. By the time you hear this, it will be the new year. Obviously, with my background, we are doing this podcast during the uh, during the holidays. So I'd like to welcome in my guest today. And by the way, this is the first time I've done a podcast with two individuals. Done many webinars, but first time I've done a podcast. So should be uh, should be interesting. So joining us today is Heather Margolis, SVP of Marketing at uh, 360 Insight. Welcome, Heather. Thanks, Stephen. And Larry Walsh, who is the CEO and Chief Analyst at Channelomics. Welcome, Larry. Stephen, how are you? I'm doing really well. Hi, Larry. Hi, Heather. <laughs> how are you? How are you? Are we going to go down that route right away? Okay. I'm sorry. I, I don't know no, no, wait. Let me do this. Let me just, Heather, you know, Heather and I are from Boston. Okay. Heather, you're not better than me. Never better, but a <laughs> wicked pisser. You are a wicked pisser. Wow. Here's the interesting part of doing a podcast. One, it's not live. Two, we can edit everything. Three, it lives are on. Are you going to edit that? No, I'm not going to edit that. I'm not editing. Listeners, I'm not. Listeners and viewers, we haven't edited anything throughout this podcast at all. And mm -hmm. that's the whole, how about the deal? Here's a promise, listeners and viewers. If you will stay tuned and stay through us the whole time, we promise we're not going to edit anything. Everything Larry says is going to come out and we're not going to filter anything. There's still time. Wait, 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 whoa. Whatever whoa, Heather wait, says, wait. however, whatever <laughs> Heather says, she gets to say whether she wants it to show or not. That's totally up to her. That's carte blanche. Larry, one take, buddy. One take, Larry. One take, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Stephen, what was your third thing? Yeah, I was going to, like, I was just going to say, you know, brace for incoming F-bombs. It, it's, it's, it's all good. I think my, this is being played in the new year. One of my um, resolutions is going to be to swear less. So maybe I'll try in this webinar to start. You know, Heather, I like that idea because it could be like carbon offsets. What you give up, I'll absorb. You can, exactly. Yeah, see? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I'm just going to be the referee on this, right? So it's interesting. Like I, I stopped swearing just in general, especially with all my kids around. But now all three of my children are out of the home for now. So technically, it's fair game. But I don't think I can go back. I don't know if I could go back. <clears throat> What's our code for like getting back on topic? Pineapple. The safe word is banana. Banana, pineapple, pick a, pick a fruit, whatever. Pineapple, banana. Let's go. Pineapple, lemon. Anyways, once again, thanks everyone for joining us today. Our mission today and what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about 2024. And we may even go into a little hindsight because Larry was just talking while we we're waiting for you, Heather. Um, don't worry about it. It's not, it's not, not a big me. We waited, we waited six minutes. Totally fine. Listeners don't care. You're here. That's all that matters. Um, but Larry said 2023 was a tough year. And I, it'd be interesting as we go back and we talk about some of the things that made it difficult. And maybe even during the middle of 2023, we all thought it was going to be terrible. I thought after Q1, I was going, this is going down the drain, right? And interestingly enough, for many of us, it turned out pretty well. But I think what everyone's looking for is what's going to happen in 2024. And hopefully out of this, we'll get a little bit about what you can expect in 2024 and things you could look forward to. And maybe some things you should be, questions you should be asking and issues you maybe need to resolve 
uh, to do well in 24, 2024. Because I mean, that's all we're trying to do, right? It's figuring out what do we need to look at? How do we need to execute? And how do we need to work on it? And how do we need to be successful in 2024? I think, I don't know, that's my personal message for me and my organization. I don't think it's a lot different for most folks, right? If it is, tell me. Larry, you're the... Yeah. Well, like oh. I, 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 so since I've already been labeled the curmudgeon, I will. Uh, uh, I, I didn't even have to go down that path, did I? No, no. I think like I, people have been, people ask me this all the time is that what I think is going to 2024 is going to be like. And I, I tell them is that if they didn't like 23, they're going to hate 24. Uh, 24 is still going to be a rough year. And a lot of it has to do with a lot of caution and spending on the customer side. There's still a lot of conservation uh, by businesses, particularly you know, across the spectrum of SMB and enterprise, most particularly. Uh, corporate debt is weighing heavily on on a lot of vendors, so there's that's a lot of pressure on the channel organizations, and that's not going to be alleviated until the second half of next year. Um, the that's the bad news. It's the first half of 24 that's going to be that's going to be rough. Uh, the second half of 24 is going to be a ramp. And that ramp is going to be leading into a what what I believe, and this is somewhat the consensus on the on the amongst the economists that I follow and interact with, is that 25 is going to be a really good year. The one bit of caution I'd have for everyone is that if you're looking at the early analyst numbers in terms of predicting IT spend, um, Gartner in October came out and said that IT spend in 24 is going to be up eight percent year over year. It's not. It, it just dismissed that number whole cloth. It's just not going to happen. AI is not going to have the the impact on spending in 24. It is going to be a slow ramp into 25 and 26. And 25 and 26 is when you're going to see AI have a, a, a real impact on spending. But this is 24 is going to be another transition year. But it's not going to be, it's going to feel bad like 23 was in the first half. And then it's going to start to really feel a lot better. Uh, in the second half of 24. Hey, look, Larry, can you, can you define that and break that? Maybe we could break that down and then Heather, you can weigh in on how you think incentives are going to fit into that because you said a lot of things, right? Um, one, you said the first half is going to be bad and that it's going to turn good. A six month bridge is not that long, right? We're not that far away from it. So maybe one, you can address that. Um, are we holding on or are we investing to get there, right? So that's one follow-up question for you. The second one is, I think you have to define AI and what it means. And I don't, why you think AI will be slow or why will cause a slowdown and then cause a ramp up, right? Because people are pretty excited about AI. So maybe you can address those two things, the first half of the year and then maybe defining AI a little bit and why it went there. And then Heather, maybe you can jump in on the incentive piece of that. So look, the economic conditions are not that bad. The problem is, is that there's a lot of, like I said, the real big problem right now is debt. Corporate debt worldwide is double what it was five years ago. It's now totaling almost $80 trillion. And what a lot of things that you're seeing that's happening in the market, particularly with technology vendors uh, trimming their budgets, trimming their staff. I mean, it's on a daily basis now that I'm hearing about people being reorganized or, you know, or what is the one I heard today? Somebody that we know being reorganized out, uh, which I thought was a really clever way of describing it. Um, is there an investment? No, there's no investment because you can't get money right now. Money is too expensive. So the only place to get money right, the, the, the investor community really isn't interested in putting more money into businesses. The only place they can go to get net new investment is on through banks. 
Uh, interest rates, prime interest rates are still remaining high. The Federal Reserve and the central banks in Europe are going to decrease the interest rates, but those decreases are only going to come in the second quarter and into the next half. That's why I'm saying the first half is going to be a little, a little rocky. But as we start to move up into 25, you're going to start to see conditions ease up. And not to get political, once we get past the elections next year, things will start to feel a little bit more stable. Um, in terms of AI, AI is not a driver of spending right now. A lot of companies are releasing AI tools, AI features, but this is more around you know, enriching experiences and it may lead to retention, but it's not leading to net new spend. And even when you look at, take you know, the, the, the PC market, for instance, which is a bit of a bellwether, um, it is projected to start ticking back up uh, sometime in 24 and into 25. Uh, a, um, HP, Lenovo have already announced that they're going to be releasing AI-enabled PCs, but they haven't defined what the use cases are yet. They haven't really said what this is going to be about, and a lot of companies are holding back on their net new investments until they actually see what the AI infrastructure needs are, what the what the new processes are going to be, what the new endpoints are going to have to look like. So there's still a bit of time before there's a a, a a trigger on net new spending relative to AI. Okay. Well, so Heather, it's kind of interesting for me yeah. to listen to that, right? Because every call that I'm on, people are talking about how incentives tie into what we do. So I understand there's that six month, but but how do we prep through that six months to get, six months is actually a pretty short window to get yeah. to that 2025, right? And so how, how do we how do we leverage things like you do uh, when you do to, to make- Well, make I think- if you already have an incentives program, certainly think about how you're using it to get your partners doing the things that will help them get through this challenging time and help you sell more product in that time. Um, so instead of running the same old incentive that you always have on, you know, like a sales incentive on selling the same thing, maybe you do a volume incentive. Maybe you add in market development funds or business development funds to get them to do the things that will get them in front of people. Because now you're not just trying to get in front of the right person who needs your IT solutions. Now you're trying to get in front of the right person who needs your IT solutions and has a budget. Um, so helping the partners find the, the right people for that mix is um, is super important more than ever. So I would tie incentives to activities like marketing, sales, the things that you're doing with partners that are helping to get your solutions instead of your competitor solutions. It's less about finding the people who don't have a solution and finding than it is about finding the people who have a solution they're unhappy with or that isn't going to serve them in the next year or two. Um, and then I think it's also super important that partners are communicating more than ever. I think there's, um, when we're in tough economic times, everyone just slashes marketing right away. Um, and I think that when you come out on the other end, the people who kept marketing throughout, maybe they bootstrapped a little bit more, maybe they were a little more savvy about where they were spending their money, but they kept marketing throughout are the ones that come out on the other end and still have a business and still have brand recognition and still have customers versus the ones who just slash all marketing and say, that's it, we're not going to market anymore and don't have anybody at the other end. Yeah, yeah I think it's a scary like, thing if you end up with nobody at the other end. Hey, hey Larry, I think uh, well, I'd like both you guys to take on this. The place where I'm seeing AI, and it's a part of what we offer, is so many having to do with more with less. 
how did what how did you say that what was the term used that they laid some people off out what was the reorging re out reorging re out yeah <laughs> reorging out and and why we're all really working hard to like help our community and people find jobs and we're we're hiring um i i think there there is some growth there but w what i'm seeing is using ai in some simple forms uh to do more with less in our world we're trying to figure out how to, how do we do that right if you have a small team how do they do the things, Heather, that you're talking about? Yeah. And some of that is is, is changing roles, um, learning, um, uh, using AI or new tools, automation to be successful to try to figure out how to how to get there. So, so that that's where I'm seeing AI being used in the actual channel and in the tech stack, the place where I live, because people are trying to figure out how to be more efficient. Yeah. So I wouldn't say do more with less. I would say do more with the same. So. We well, sell. That, that's a time. That's a timing thing, right? Okay, you're you're right. Maybe where they used to be a level yeah. set, or where are you going to be at the beginning of 2024? No, right? I would say that looking at you know I run marketing. Looking at my team, we haven't cut. We don't have plans to cut. Um, we're not hiring. <clears throat> we don't have plans to hire. But I we are using AI right now to oh that social post shouldn't just go out from the corporate logo and from me, it should also go out from our entire sales team, but they need a little help. So the sales team can pop a social post into AI and put it in a different tone. That's more them. Um, we're using it to verticalize content. So instead of writing one ebook for, we sell into four verticals, instead of writing one ebook for vertical one and a second ebook for vertical two, ebooks take about month, six weeks, lots of different people's time. Um, we're writing the ebook once and then we're putting it into an AI tool and having the tone changed based on a different vertical. So it's not perfect. It doesn't write it for us, but it does like 40% of the work. So instead of it taking us six weeks to do that second one, it's taking us two weeks. Um, and just in general, getting more reach from what we already have today instead of, you know, the same old, same old. Like I said, you need to be out in front more than your competitors to make it through a recession. Yeah, look, I, I want to go back to something that Heather was saying about marketing. Uh, I mean, it, it's a mistake that companies make is that the first thing they do is they they cut what they consider to be the soft skills of the cost centers. Um, it's, it's a problem. Um, the biggest issue that we're seeing with a number of the companies that, we're, that we work with and support, it's not that they don't have good products. It's that nobody knows what these products are. And so it is vitally important to keep lines of communications not only open, but investing in them and keeping them strong. And Heather's right, as much as I want to disagree with her, um, is that you have- By the way, Larry, you only get to say that once on this podcast. That he wants to disagree with me? It's the holidays, I'm being generous. <laughs> Anyways, so, but there is, you have to keep feeding that top of the funnel. Yeah, uh, and 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 this is where a lot of companies are struggling with is because the the partners are out there. They're looking for their next opportunity. They're looking to their vendors that have greater capabilities than they do to be able to help feed, help feed their pipelines, um, and the customers are looking for real value. Uh, they're not looking for the next the next 
innovation, whatever that might be. What they're looking for is rational, uh, rational investments that they can make to make their businesses better. The problem is, is that oftentimes customers don't know what they don't know. We can sit here and pound, pound on our desks and, and stand up on stages all day long and shout AI as much as we want to. The reality is, is that uh, you, you, do, you have to have more directed investments and it's not just an AI tool. It is the things that go on around it. It's an augmentation that can happen. And I think that we have to keep that focus. I, tell you that, I like to say that if you're going to use AI as a tool within your business, whether it's to augment te tech support, use it like Heather's describing for marketing, even simplifying like communication so that you know even the people who can't write can actually sound smart in an email. Um, these tools are there not to replace, they're there to, to augment capabilities and to free us give us freer, more time to interact with other people. And ultimately, I think that that's the thing that, you know, the revolution that's to come is not that we're automating more, is that we are actually going to be able to have more contact with each other. Well, that is that is ultimately the goal, isn't it? I mean, we, we, you, we didn't actually go through and define what AI is, but everything that I'm seeing, and Heather, I live in the same marketing world that you do, is to be able to give individuals the time to think and to be strategic to do more with the same. I think that's a nice way you, you put it, Heather. Um, that's what that's what I'm seeing. Has the buyer really changed that much? I mean, we're using AI to, to help us get that message across and help us to get that content. But has the buyer really changed that much in 23 to 24 to even 25? Is it still the personal experience that really matters? Is that what's gonna make um, the marketing successful? What do you guys think? I don't think the buyers changed from 23 to 24, but I think the buyers drastically changed in the last 10 years, just in their behavior. Um, so what ends up happening is B2B in general and the channel for sure are usually three to five years behind everyone else. So if we as consumers are ordering everything online and getting served up, if you like this, you may also like that. Or because you bought this, this is the next logical step in your journey. Um, and I don't think we're doing a good enough job of that in B2B in the channel yet. Larry? I, I, I tend to agree. Um, I, I think that the changes in the buyer has already happened. Um, like the, the millennials are now running the purchasing uh, the purchasing process and they have a different set of considerations. We can see the share shift that's happening to hyperscalers and I think that that's gonna accelerate now. I mean, there's it's not just a matter of convenience. There is, there's real value that's being driven to hyperscalers and they are evolving their models to ensure that there's that experience is, is translated through the digital platforms as much as we did through a conventional channel. Um, I do see a problem with the sellers though. I don't think the sellers have necessarily changed. And I think that there's, in, and we are getting, uh, getting more inquiries about how do, we, how do we inform, how do we enable, how do we, how do we uh, resource sellers to think differently in terms of the different options and the different sales models that are available now that weren't available a few years ago. Um, and this, I think it's the sellers are the ones that are having the hardest time adapting. Um, yeah. On a company level, I think that there's a there's still a mindset out there that I think needs to be cleaned up. And I'll, I'll share with you a conversation I even just had this morning with somebody who was saying, well, look, we have this innovative, great product. It layers on uh, to everything else and it makes everything better. And, and that's not an uncommon story. 
the customer doesn't want to hear that. The customer has a lot of change fatigue, a lot of stacking fatigue that has been building up over the last few years. So a lot of what you're seeing in terms of pullback on the app as a service model, and it's not to say that we're not spending to continue to grow as a service offerings, but the customers are being more deliberate in the way that they're evaluating service-based offerings because you know it's becoming just like streaming services. Okay, we we bought Netflix, then we got Amazon Prime, now we got Disney, now we got Apple TV, and before we know it, we're spending more than we were on cable, and that's where a lot of fatigue is coming in on the on the on the business side, on the on the company side, and I think that's one of the things that we're going to have to get around over the next two, year or two. Well, Heather, that kind of feeds right into your wheelhouse. There, if there's change and it's necessary, that's exactly where and set them to do in, the right? behavior you want. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean. I think to Larry's point, you as a business, so if you're the software company, the hardware company, the tech company working with these partners, you have to figure out the strategy to help them to make sure that they aren't overwhelmed and aren't spending more and aren't pushing their customers in the, the wrong way. But um, once you figure out that path and that strategy, then it's up to you to incent them to do the behaviors that will get them going in the right direction. Um, and I think it's also, I think the onus is, I always say us because I started my career on the vendor side. Um, I actually started my career on the partner side, but very quickly moved to the vendor side. Um, I think the onus is on the tech companies to figure out a lot of things right now, right? Like partners are now selling through marketplaces. They're looking to the vendor to say, how do I make this happen too? Um, and that is also where something like an ecosystem management tool where they can, if, they're, if their customer is buying through a marketplace, but the partner needs help setting up services or they're the one selling through the marketplace, I know I'm taking us on a tangent, I'll be right back. Um, it's important that, that the education around that, the engagement around that, the enablement pieces around that are inside of an ecosystem management tool that has AI and is serving up, and now you do this, and now you do that. Because if nothing else, the way that we buy and sell today has made us as consumers incredibly lazy. Like I had to go to the grocery store the other day, my head almost exploded. My kids were like, we don't come here anymore. Um, so once you get the partners and the customers to a place where they don't, where they want things served up to them, you need to make sure you keep doing that. Hey, Larry, this kind of goes back to the content side that you talked about. And this is the world that I live in, right? I live in, if we look at AI from a big picture, I live in a world where we're taking AI down to something really, really simple. And Heather, you had talked about it before. How do we customize and how do we personalize content so the message actually reaches that buyer? And so, Larry, what do you think? How do we get that reseller to do that and, and get that content, use that AI to actually match up with the with what the buyer wants, right? I would I would think that AI would actually make that simpler. I, I will, and, and, and I'm going to say this for my big sister, Heather, um, that I am conceding defeat, that I will accept that ecosystems are a thing. I think everybody gets it wrong. And part to, to your question, Stephen, is that- Wait, 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 well, hold on a second. There have been ecosystems 
I've been talking about ecosystems oh. for 13 years, 15 years. We do years. not have time to go through how Larry got to this conclusion. Can we just revel in the victory that it is? A victory. It, it, I would call it a minor victory because as Steven said, he said 13 years. Hello, I was talking about ecosystems 20 years ago. Um, but do you need me to do my two-dimensional versus three-dimensional again? And I would love to yeah, see we, yeah, because, that would be great. Be, because that is so cool and, and how, no, but <laughs> like to your question, Stephen, about how to take that content and get the partners to use that content and whether there's a tool or whether it's AI to get them to use that content. This is what I mean by some of the systemic flaws in the thinking around the concept of ecosystems. Ecosystems, to me, Heather will talk about this, and I, I do really appreciate the way that she describes two versus three-dimensional go-to-markets. To me, ecosystems aren't, is not a go-to-market model. It is a concept that describes a variety of different actions that then flow through channels. And that's where this really does get challenged because we all look at this from a vendor-centric point of view. And ultimately, when I say the, the sellers are the ones that have to catch up and sellers from on high, their management team down, because ultimately who they're trying to service, the sellers, the channel teams, the channel chiefs, their customers are their executive teams. And ultimately the customers of the executive teams are their investors. And that's what has to get satisfied from the inside up. The partner has a voice in all of this. The partner has a choice. And if you look at even the smallest resellers or integrators or MSPs, they are aligned primarily with a dozen or so, a dozen or so vendors. And when I say aligned, meaning that they are primarily focused around them, they make their investments, they build practices around them. There are another three to four dozen other vendors that they're dealing with on an on a continual basis. You know, it may not be as frequent, it could be opportunistic, but there's this expectation from the supply side that we got to get them to use, you know, our tools and we got to get them to push this narrative, push our narrative and we want to be out in front. And the reality is, is the partners, the partner has their own imperative, their own mission that they have to follow, which doesn't always align. And we have to accept that. If we can sell them on our value, then that's great. But we can't all sit there and say, yes, we're going to get them to do this. Wait, 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 hold on. So many things that I would pass would go down. First of all, that statement is at least 15 years old, right? Because MSPs 15 years ago sold risk mitigation, business continuity. They didn't sell Dell and VMware, right? So they've had their own statement as a partner forever. And I don't think, so my question to both of you is, is that message, because I, I, I get in this conversation on a daily basis, You've got the vendor message, and then you've got the partner message. Why isn't it? Why aren't we doing a better job making it a joint message to the customer coming together, and talking about the value of, of how they support each other, like the one in one equals three sort of thing? So the buyer is seeing the both best from both sides. Why aren't yeah, we doing I'll, that? I'll share this with you because, and and this will resonate with Heather when she was turning wrenches. So, <laughs> is that think about your car. Your car is the is the the collection or the the epitome of an ecosystem product, and there are ten thousand, on average, more than ten thousand individual parts that go into an average car, coming from an equal number of suppliers. Right? They all have to come together, and then it's at at, it's at that point it becomes a brand, it becomes a product, it becomes marketable. 
up until that point is that everyone has their own individual missions. And those individual missions don't always align themselves to being in that joint marketing, that joint communications. But it does happen episodically. And you do see companies that do this on a, on a good basis. And I mean, look, if you look at the, the GSI relationships with a lot of the tier one vendors, this happens very well. Yeah. But it has to happen, it, it just tends to happen in isolation. And that's one of the things that we have to remember is that this is, there is a lot of competing interest in here that we have to work around or work with in order to get messages to market. Well, why can't we take that best practices and scale it down, right? Scale it down and out. What's in the way of that? Can I just go back to Stephen's question? Because I would have a different answer for that. The reason that you can't do the one plus one equals three anymore is one, partners sell they, I used to sell, say they sell between five and 25 different products. They sell now between 25 and hundreds of different mm -hmm. solutions. And two, the customer doesn't care as much that it says Dell EMC on the storage array because they're not looking at it every day. They're not like bringing people in to show off their raised floor yeah, where yeah. they're, you know, yeah. like the customer doesn't necessarily have the data center in their office anymore. Um, and if they do, they still probably don't have someone who's walking into the data center on a regular basis, like brushing their shoulders off that they got like the cool, like blue lights under the floor that move. Like that's not the experience that our customers are having anymore. So I think it's less about the technology company and their partner walking hand in hand into a customer and more about the three different technology or the three different the MSP, the VAR, and the influencer or systems integrator walking in together and saying, these are the 20 technologies that we are going to implement to help you reach this business outcome. Because that's what the customer cares about now, their business outcome. Uh, completely but doesn't that agree. matter to but, everybody? But, 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 Isn't that? But, but Stephen, look, I, no, I, complete, I completely agree. But that's why I'm saying... That's why I'm saying about the sellers have to catch up because ultimately, once I, vendor X, realize that I'm in a deal, then if I'm having the wait for my peers to get sold into this, I don't want to wait. Yeah, I want to get in there. And that's the problem right now with, you know, I say the, some, some of this, the shortcomings of the ecosystem concept is that the nature of selling within individual vendors is still based around get my deal first and then you guys can go next. And that that motion that you're describing, Heather, doesn't happen as often as people like to think it does. I would say it happens more than than we think, but it's not something that's um, it's not orchestrated like that. It's just oh, happening. No. Oh no, it's opportunistic. That's the problem. Yeah. It's opportunistic and it only happens, it only happens in meaningful ways when it services the interest of the person who's trying to get the sale in first. What in 2024, what I'd like to hear from you, each of you, is maybe two or three things. What can people do to be effective? Because we can talk about we can have these great high-level conversations about an ecosystem and why don't we replicate this? And co-selling is a challenge, but it's the right way to go. And it works at the GSI and the vendor level. Why can't we get it down to the the smaller partner level? By the way, my take is if you can see it and you can make it work up here you should be able to figure out how to make it work down there. It's inevitable. It's whoever does it, it's going to be successful. But all that aside, Larry, top two or three things you should be looking at to get 
through to that second half of 2024. And Heather would like to know the same thing from you, right? It's a good way to wrap things up. Uh, I guess you don't want me to say abandon all hope. Uh... Okay, hold on. I don't even know how to say that. You just said, and I and it's in here I'm earlier. Kidding. If you get through the Please. first half of 2024, the second oh. half's going to rock. And to, uh, the, two quarters is nothing. You better be marketing extremely hard and effectively now so that you can be successful in the second half of 2024. Well, first, I'm going to disagree with you. If you go out and you talk to any CRO right now, and two quarters are a lifetime. I am a CRO. And in... And, 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 and you know, it is an invitation to explore other opportunities or maybe get reorged out. Um, look, I don't think that we can abandon building strategic relationships and getting deeper in with those partners. It's one of the things that that needs to be done in a more meaningful way. We prescribe joint business planning to do that. Um, I think vendors need to, over the past eighteen months, vendors have been paring down their their channel programs. Um, limiting the number of partners that are participating, they're going to have to actually open up and bring more partners into the fold because the partners they have are not growing and contributing at a fast enough rate. So they need to go find new opportunities. Um, and on top of all that, they have to invest in both uh, targeted and air cover marketing. One of the things that, that will help the partners sell, you know, uncover opportunities and sell more effectively is that if the vendors are helping to build customer consideration. I'm not even talking about getting to the point of generating leads, meaning that if you can warm up the customers to be, be open to having a conversation about the brand, about the product, it will make things much simpler for the, for the partner to actually initiate that conversation. I think adding to that one one thing I'm seeing is a lot of companies um, reorging out their more senior channel executives and hiring at a lower rate. And I just think that is a huge mistake because they are going to look back in six months and realize that they don't have the strength that they need um, to get them where they want to go in 2025. It's the same as stopping marketing. Um, <clears throat> and I shouldn't say a lot. I'm seeing a handful like in the last week. Um, but uh, others who brought pe people in six months ago are now bringing somebody back in on top of them. Um, so I think it's important that you're thinking about long-term, not just like got to make it through the next six months. Like, yeah, it's going to be hard six months, but, um, make sure that you're prepared for the next. And then, um, I'm also seeing, uh, companies that realize that incentives are what's going to keep those partners with them. Like think of how much trouble you took to recruit and enable all of those partners. If they're not making money with you and, and I mean more money than they are with a competitor, um, they're just going to go somewhere else. It's right back to the, nobody's walking into a data center and getting excited about the blue lights going back and forth to get, uh, across the floor. Like partners will sell someone else if they can make more money with them. So think about not just margin, but how are you spiffing the salesperson? How are you giving rebates to the customer? How are you helping the business owner? Um, and uh, also to Larry's point, make sure you're enabling them to do sales and marketing correctly. Yeah, I, wa I want to echo something Heather said though about, uh, about the quality of, I'm trying yes. to get to eight. Um, okay, we, we, you got you got sixty seconds to get to eight. No, no it's, it's true though. Is that because a lot of recruiters will call me looking for the next talent? They're looking for and and there's been a palpable shift in what recruiters are looking for in channel chiefs. 
And what they're equating to is not their skill. They're not looking at their skills. They're looking at their relationships. And they think that they can bring in somebody who can walk into Presidio, walk into WWT or CDW, that it's going to solve their problems. And it's not. They need more strategic, more strategic people that can build for long-term success. Um, and the other thing that is the vendors tend to do in times like these is they tend to try to overcomplicate things. So I appreciate what Heather's saying about incentives, but we've looked at, we've just reviewed 200,000 partner records. And what did we find? is that ease of doing business has a greater impact on partner productivity than even incentives do. It's not to say incentives aren't important, but vendors really need to simplify and make things easier for partners to work, not harder. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think my last take on that is I agree on the simplify. If, uh, look, I, I've been doing partner surveys for a long time and always at the top is to make things simple. And I'm with you, Larry. I've read you know the guidelines for the top 100 companies out there in the tech space. And I'm not so sure it's actually taken hold, but I think it has to go a step beyond, especially in the technology world and the tech stack, the world Heather and I live in. I think we're all making a step towards making them simpler. And that's great. I, I agree. It needs to be easier. I think we're to the point where you have to add value. I think there's enough technology coming out to make it simple. Look, any any good tech stack out there knows who the partner is, where the partner is, what the partner is, when the last time they're there, and what they've been successful. Those are just table stakes. So you can make it so simple for a partner that they look at it and go, oh, this is really intuitive. If you don't have any value, they're never coming back. What the partners need and want in life as far as is driving either leads or revenue or the money that you owe them for something, that that hasn't changed. So I think one of the things I'm seeing that's gonna be successful for a lot of technology stack is you gotta add value. And whether that's an incentive program that is the right kind of incentive program that gets there, or otherwise taking content and allowing them to actually finally personalize content in a short period of time. These are the things that are gonna lead, I think, to success. And that's what's gonna have partners going back and engaging. Cause you can go out and recruit all day long. You can promise them all these great things and you can bring them in and you can make it really simple. If they don't have value, they're not going to stay. Anyways, uh, Larry, I know you've had a crazy year and you've flown all over the place. I appreciate you taking a little bit of time to join us. Much appreciated. Heather, I know your life is crazy right now towards the end of the year. So I appreciate you taking a little time to join us as well. So Thanks for having us. Oh, no, seriously. It was a pleasure. Thank you both. Have a great holiday. Thank you. And I'll see you guys all soon.